This is Strike, the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast with a British twist. As always, I'm your host, P-Dubs. And to start the the new year with a bang, uh, we've been teasing over the last week or so that we had something special for uh, the Punisher fans out there. We have actually got a special guest, and the interview will be coming up right now. One. So, as I said at the top of the show, we do have a very special guest joining us on the show tonight. Uh, from Netflix and Marvel's hit, hit series The Punisher, the man who brought Sam Stein to life, Michael Nathanson. Thank you for joining us, Michael. All right. Good to be here, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. No worries. Good evening. We are, we are joined by, by Tony as well, my, my co-host. Uh, Greetings. The rest of the team couldn't join us tonight. They're, they're both working. Um, so we're going to go straight into the interview. Um, obviously, we've brought you on to talk about The Punisher, but I just sure. wanted to, to talk a little bit about your career before uh, The Punisher came along. So you, you had a string of, of guest appearances in massive network shows, starting with Law & Order back in 2009, through 30 Rock, Rescue Me, The Good Wife and Elementary. Uh, are there any of those experiences that stand out for you that, that kind of put you in the direction you wanted to be in your career? <coughs> yeah, uh, I mean... I've had a really weird sort of journey to to the Punisher, where I I was a big theater guy for a really long time. I did a ton of um, New York theater, regional theater all over the country, and even toured around with The Lion King uh, for a while here in the states. And um, uh, started doing more commercials and TV work and getting into more of that kind of stuff, which is always kind of what I really wanted to do, but. You know, you go to drama school, you train to be kind of a theater actor. That's kind of what, what happens, and you and you fall in love with Shakespeare and all sorts of stuff, and uh, that was kind of my track. But, yeah, when I started doing – I started doing more guest spots and more commercials and uh, realized it was really my calling to, to, to be on screen. And um, I don't know if I could pinpoint one of those particular experiences that, that, that really sort of changed the trajectory of my career. I mean, I would say <coughs> the um, – the movie that kind of launched me into another, I kind of had two on-camera experiences, I would say, that kind of launched me into a, a more clearer direction to where I am now. One was a, a short, a short film that I, that I starred in called Time Freak, which ended up getting nominated for an Academy Award. And uh, that was a particularly kind of amazing experience. I got to travel all to di- all different festivals. I got to go to the Oscars. I got to, you know, experience what that was like. I got to, you know meet a lot of filmmakers and producers and actors and um, be interviewed all over the place. And uh, it, that was kind of insane. And then, you know, a lot of that led to my relationship with Steven Soderbergh and working with him on a few projects. And so I would say those experiences were really like sort of the keystones for like, I mean, it all kind of builds, you know, everyone says like, you know, you're an overnight success after you work for a bit every, you know, 10, 15 years. <laughs> but all these, you know, all those actors are working, Doing guest spots, doing theater, doing commercials, doing indie film—you know—they're—they're they're making a living. I've—I've I've been a working actor for a really long time, you know, making a living, you know, exclusively as that. And so, you know, this is this is sort of like my uh, my reward for all the hard work is to like be on a show that's this visible and this exciting, and sort of to to be able to reach you know millions of fans all over the world um, so quickly and kind of bring you know my personality and what I do and my my acting style to them. Um, you know, it's just going to open so many more doors for me, but, uh, you know, it's just like one little door opens another door, a bigger door, and then it just kind of, and you kind of find yourself here, but it's, it's a lot of work, man, a lot of years, for sure. Uh, this, the second kind of TV experience that I wanted to bring up was, was your appearance yeah. on Orange is the New Black, 
which was your first move into to the Netflix um, kind of model. Um, was did it feel very different to being on like a network show to moving on to to a Netflix show? You know, I think all of these shows are really they're really all kind of the same bag. I mean, <clears throat> I actually talked to somebody on about, on another podcast about this, and they were curious, kind of like how the um, how the network shows and the and the sort of streaming shows differ in terms of you know just filming and stuff. And really, the only difference is on the streaming shows, it's a longer um, it's a longer period of time that you're working on it. So it's almost like it's almost like a ten hour movie, you know, that just kind of keeps going and going and going. A network show, they got to run and gun that stuff. They got to get that done super fast because you know they have episodes that have to air, you know, within a, a month or so, and they have a timeline. Uh, for a season, in terms of streaming stuff, you know, they can throw that stuff up whenever they want. You know, they want to film it all at once and then decide when to release it all at once. So I would say the biggest difference between filming on a streaming show and filming on a network show is really just, you know, on a streaming show, everyone is in it for the long haul. And on a network show, everyone wants to go home every day. <laughs> really, really, you know, and there's a lot of that sort of, um, okay, you know, let's not do too many takes and let's, not that that's not like how it is everywhere but uh <coughs> excuse me it's um i would say that's the biggest difference um and and i really didn't feel any difference going from and, and also like you know i've done i've done plenty of indie films and i've done uh, bigger studio films and you know it, it all kind of is the same bag you know i approach it the same um i don't think of it as any any difference and it, it really it really has more to do with the crew than the actors i would say we kind of do our thing whenever we can um but yeah does that answer the question was that a good answer i don't yeah. know that, that was fantastic. We don't get to see a lot of this, obviously, being in the UK as well. We don't see so much of the behind-the-scenes stuff as maybe people that live in the in the States do. So that that's fantastic. Um, moving on from from that, um, but I would I would say though I would say my dream is to be in a in a in a BBC show or like you know my, <laughs> here's here's the thing you know I was talking to my my co-star Amber, my dear friend Amber Rose Reva, who plays uh, Dean Madani on the show, and we. Uh, <clears throat> I, I actually have a TV pilot that I co-wrote that's that we're pitching around currently, and it's an eight-episode arc. And you know, I think the eight-episode arc of any TV show is the right way to go. I like I like the eight-episode arc or the six to eight-episode arc, and then the like two to three season max, and then you're out. Tell a great story, <laughs> get the hell out. And I think that's what the that's what the Brits do remarkably well. So your model to me is like. Is how things should be done. I don't know. I don't know what our model is to be modeled after, but I, I hope we model more stuff after yours. So, so moving on from from the small screen stuff. After after that, you uh, you moved on yeah. to the massive box office hit and critically acclaimed movie, The Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, how was that experience? Yeah, that was interesting. I mean, I over the course of a year and a half, I filmed. I did a bunch of stuff, but two big projects were that, and I did this big movie, Side Effects, for Steven Soderbergh, where I first met him and developed a relationship with him. And um, <coughs> getting to work with, like, you know, arguably the two best directors in the world, kind of back-to-back, was very intimidating and very insane. Um, Wolf of Wall Street, you know, I didn't have a huge role in Wolf of Wall Street. I think I filmed a total of about a week on that on that movie. Um, some of my stuff got cut, and I ended up, but I ended up in the movie, and few scenes and um you know I, I i told the story there was a moment on that set where i was 
having a conversation. I was standing in between Leonardo DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese, and I was in the middle, and there's DiCaprio on one side smoking an e-cig and kind of furrowing his brow and a sort of James Dean look, and then I had Scorsese on my right chattering away like exactly how you think Martin Scorsese directs and talks to actors is, is exactly how he directs and talks to actors. Um, it's telling me about my character background and all this stuff. And I, I definitely had an out of body experience where I was <laughs> ping ponging between them and then being like, wow, I really need to take a, just like a mental note that like, this is where I am currently. And like, it has to only get as good or better than this going forward. Um, so that was one of those, that was one of those moments where I was like, yeah, this is, this is weird. This is surreal. I guess this is what happens when you sort of open that, that bigger door into, uh, into bigger projects with these kinds of people. And you find yourself, and they're actors and directors like everyone else, but, um, and you kind of have to suck it up and be like, okay, <clears throat> I'm here for a reason. You know, like I got cast and I'm good and I'm talented. Don't, don't mess it up. Don't screw it up. Don't, you know, and don't second guess yourself. But, um, yeah, it was super fun. I got to meet a lot of cool people on that shoot and, uh, at one point, I got to improvise with Rob Reiner, which was kind of insane because this is oh, one, of, one of my favorite movies of all time. And um, there was a scene where Scorsese was just like, "Okay, you guys just kind of improvise such and such," and um, we did that. And yeah, it was that was amazing. So yeah, uh, I was going to ask Michael. Sorry, what difference in the style between Soderbergh and Scorsese would you say is a significant one? Well, there's one very significant, well, there's two significant ones, I would say, that come to mind. One being, one is very verbal, and one is not at all. <laughs> and, I'll let, and I'll let you guess who is who. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, um, you know, every director has a very different style. Um, and I think that <coughs> I respond, I respond to most director styles. Like, I, I, I find myself a fairly affable person, and I can kind of, do my thing within the context of whatever's going on. But, um, yeah, those are two very different experiences. Scorsese loves to talk about backstory, talk about the details of the scene, talk about every motivation and intention and, and really dive into the psychology of, of moment to moment what's going on and really, really have it all as clear, clearly mapped out and detailed as possible before he shoots. And, you know, he also takes a much longer time to, to set up and to light and to, uh, just kind of, you know, move, move actors and set pieces around. And he generally works with much bigger budgets as well. You know, on the other hand, uh, Soderbergh is, he, he has a thing, you know, he's a very trusting director. He's a very, he has a very quiet calm about him. I've never, I think I saw him get angry once and it wasn't even a voice raising. It was just sort of like a, an internalized sort of anger, but he's never <laughs> very calm. You know, he, he, he's a kind of one man band. he, holds the camera, he edits the movie or the TV show, whatever it may be. He helps some of the writing, he produces, he directs. And so he, he runs the show and he makes sure that kind of everything is a very tight ship and it's very, um, you know, what you see is what you get. You get to set, everything's done. You're ready to shoot almost immediately. And then you get to go home early. Um, and he doesn't like to give a lot of notes and he doesn't like to do a lot of takes. And so, in a in a situation like you're working with someone like Scorsese, I think you have <clears throat> you have more he gives you more tools with which to work with, and I think sometimes that helps, and sometimes it's a little too much. And with Soderbergh, I think I responded really well to him in the sense of like he trusted me, he gave me a lot of rope, he gave me a lot of freedom, he creates very safe, comfortable spaces, and you kind of 
develop an almost telekinesis with him and how you, how, in terms of what he wants you to do and what you think he needs you to do within the context of what he's creating. And, um, so yeah, those are, those are kind of my, those are kind of, that's the best way I can describe it. No, cool. Cheers. So sticking with the Wolf of Wall Street, you obviously got to work with your future co- co-star, John Bernthal, was also in the film. Did you know John at that point, or was it, wasn't it until you worked on The Punisher that you actually knew him? No, yeah, we never got to really work together. I, I, we were on set a couple times together, but we never worked together. Um, so I actually, no, I didn't meet him. The first time I ever met John Bernthal was at the Marvel uh, Training Center, which is in an undisclosed location somewhere in New York City, um, <laughs> where they work all of us out, and we we uh, you know we we learn a lot of the firearm stuff, and we we train our bodies and learn a lot of hand to hand combat and stuff like that. <clears throat> First time I ever met John face to face and and sort of shook his hand was he was heavily bearded, shirtless, long hair, and doing lots of very intense workouts, uh, getting into you know pre pre-filming uh, for The Punisher last year and um, very intimidating until he opens his mouth and he's like the sweetest guy in the whole world. But, um, but yeah, that was the first time I actually really got to know him and and uh, became friendly with him. That's, was on The Punisher. That's great. Uh, moving back to TV again, you then got a, a reoccurring role that turned into a into a permanent role on, on The Nick with Clive Owen. Did you feel that things had changed at that point, having done a couple of big movies and and things like that when you when you moved on? Yeah, well, you know, I had done, I had not been a series regular in a show yet. Um, I had done a ton of guest spots, and I was kind of ready to be on a TV show. I had actually done um, a TV pilot for CBS the year before with Deborah Messing and some other famous folks, where I was playing this sort of comic relief and. It was this huge pilot that everyone thought was going to be Deborah Messing's like next show after Will and Grace I ended up not getting picked up. <coughs> but I was I was like in the best spot possible to to really start uh, get a bigger role in a TV show. And yeah, after working with Steven on Side Effects, you know, they called me up and they were like, "Look, we have this role. Um, we kind of had you in mind from the get go when we started thinking about it, and uh, they just offered it to me, and it was kind of insane. I didn't audition." Um, they just brought me on and I, I thought the character would have a bigger life in the second season and ended up having a, a much bigger life in the second season, but, um, and actually would have had a bigger life in the third season, <clears throat> unfortunately. And I know a lot of people have, have said we want a third season of the Nick really badly, but nobody should hold their breath. Um, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was cool. I was ready for it and it was, uh, that was an amazing experience. That was like, um, that was as close to working with someone like Stanley Kubrick, I think. I would ever get to, to, to do. Um, Stanley Kubrick being like my absolute favorite filmmaker of all time. Steven works in a very um, technical way and he uses a lot of natural lighting and he uses a lot of interesting, you know, framing devices and it's very run and gun and it's very, you know, uh, it, it was, it was, uh, it, it's, it's an out of body experience working with him. It's really, it's really awesome. I think I use that term already but i'm gonna use it again um <laughs> he was uh yeah he's an amazing director he just he's very like i said he's very trusting he's very cool it's it's funny you know i, I i've told the story clive owen had a, a similar experience to me where he didn't understand why soderbergh wasn't giving him notes he he kind of felt like you know what am i doing here and you know it was just and, and it reminded him of a story that robert altman told him once when he was working on gosford park 
or actually what happened was Clive Owen was, he was on Gosford Park, his first big American film. Robert Altman wasn't giving him any notes or any sort of feedback. He finally, you know, got the cojones to go over to him and say, hey, you know, just to make up some questions, we could get some feedback just to get some confidence back in his performance. And um, Altman's response to him was, 95% of my job is casting. And so I like to think that that's a compliment, you know, like they cast you, you show up, you do your job, you go home. Um, and if you're there, you're there for a reason. And you just sort of like, you do your thing and you, and you're confident, you're, and you make some good choices and hopefully people like it until they tell you they don't. And if they don't tell you anything, you're in good shape. So. Let's move on to... This is, a, to this is your life. I like the way you're doing it. And then you did this. I went to someone to jump out of my closet, like my dead grandma jumped out of my closet. Oh. She was here. She flew her all from hell. Okay. So, moving on to the, the Punisher, I'm going to point out here that there probably will be spoilers at this point if you haven't seen the show. First of all, uh, what are you doing? Secondly, go and watch it now. Um, let's start... Let, let's start at the beginning. Um, Frank had obviously been really popular in season two of Daredevil. We were huge fans from the off um, and really wanted the show to, to go ahead. Um, were you a fan of the series that had, had been on the, the Netflix Marvel stuff before? Uh, yeah, totally. I, um, I watched the Daredevil shows um, when they first came out. And um, yeah, I was a huge fan of of Bernthal's work on Daredevil season two. He was amazing. Um, yeah, I, I, I had no, <coughs> I think everybody kind of assumed that the Punisher would come out in a series with John Bernthal. You know, the Punisher, I think everyone loves Daredevil for sure. There's a lot of, a lot of fan love for, for that character, but in that whole sort of TV universe, I think everyone was like, well, when are we going to get to the Punisher? <laughs> Cause I, I don't think it's ever really been done justice until now and i think when he came along and 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 did that character in season two of of, (coughs) like oh finally like a punisher we can all be proud of and so yeah i was excited to see if they were going to do a punisher i kind of had a feeling and then when the audition came along i mean i was like wow this could be pretty amazing to be a part of this this show and so yeah i was uh and such a fan of his work and i'm a big walking dead fan and i've been a fan of john since since season one of walking dead and so yeah he's just you know, he's the greatest. And and talking of the, the process of being cast, how was it? Because Marvel are very well known for being very secretive um, and not telling anybody what's going on until they literally have to tell them. How was yeah. it for you when you were going through the, the process of being cast? Well, I had an audition. I left my house. I got hit in the head with a, with a rubber hose and thrown into a burlap bag into the back of a van. <laughs> I'm waiting for someone to clap. There you go. That was a joke. I I had no, I, I had some idea that this was a Marvel show. I knew it was a Marvel show. I didn't know it was definitely The Punisher. I had a feeling it was under a pseudonym um, when they gave us the sides. <coughs> I had dummy sides. Um, they weren't actually anything that was from the show. And it was a scene between two FBI partners on a rooftop staking a criminal out um, and having a conversation about why they joined the FBI. And I remember in the audition, I had a monologue about 9-11. And that was the reason that my character, at least within the context of the scene they gave me, had joined the FBI. And it was a very sort of intense, poignant um, 
monologue about what 9-11 did to New York and how it inspired this particular person to, to join, join law enforcement. And, um, yeah, I mean, I kind of had a wink wink from the cast director whom I knew pretty well that this was, you know, one of the Marvel shows and she was kind of like, you can kind of figure it out. And I was like, okay. And we kind of smiled at each other and, um, you know, I hadn't read a script or anything. I literally got like a five page scene and that was it. And, um, you know, I came in, <clears throat> the funniest part of all of this was the, before that audition, I had actually auditioned for micro, um, which most people don't know. Um, mm. and, um, you know, I think at that point they were thinking a little bit more about going with maybe what the comic book micro was more about. Um, I think they ended up doing something a bit different with the character, which I thought worked out great. Um, I never thought that there would be two characters that I could potentially play in a Marvel show in the same, you know, in the same season. That was kind of insane, insanely lucky. But, um, the first time, the first scene I read, which was the micro scene, again, under different character names, different script name, hadn't read a script, it was a scene. That was when I had my first inkling. And then when this other scene came along, I was like, okay, if this is law enforcement going after these other guys, it definitely seems like it, it's, it could be a Punisher spinoff. And so, yeah, I had that, had the audition and, um, didn't hear anything for like three months and then got a phone call and was like, yeah, you're, uh, you're the guy and they're hiring you. And, um, it was a very, and the, the whole casting process or the whole, I just say process from then on into filming was extremely, extremely secretive. Um, there were like you know, different passwords and portals. I had to go online to get scripts and sides and, you know, all the meetings are very secretive and all I couldn't talk about anything to anybody and it was yeah it was tough it was i couldn't tell anybody i was on the punisher um that was the hardest thing i couldn't brag to any of my comic book nerd friends that like oh my god i can't believe like i'm in the mcu right now and i can't tell anybody that was insane uh, <laughs> that absolutely killed me um but yeah no it, it's it's very secretive and they're very very clear about it and there's a lot of training about how secretive it is and they're like you know they're like no joke you know you guys you know you you have to sign about 10 different documents to say, like, if you blab, then, you know, you're in deep, uh, you know, what. so yeah, for sure. So let's, let's get into the story a little bit fairly early sure. on that, uh, Sam and Dana are fairly separate from, from Frank's story. Um, and it isn't until later on in, in the series that they, they kind of start crossing paths. Was the, was the filming process like that? We, were you filming a lot? away from the other half of the story where episodes being filmed concurrently and and things like that were you were you a separate team as as such um no they i mean they filmed they filmed all the episodes in chronological order um and they generally didn't move on to another sometimes they would overlap depending on schedules um and they would go on for the next episode and film some scenes from the next episode with certain actors <coughs> and then go back and finish the previous episode with different actors um, and different storylines because all the storylines were so kind of disparate. Um, but no, it's, you know, they, they generally have two crews. They have a, an A and B crew, same DP, same, a lot of the same crews, but like different um, assistant directors, uh, different set, first assistant directors, different second assistant directors, um, and different directors for almost every single episode. And, but, but no, the, you know, because the, the, the storylines were so separate, we often didn't see each other except in passing a lot of the actors. And then sometimes we would get together socially, 
for a dinner or for drinks. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, and it was pretty relentless. I mean, they filmed what 13 episodes over the course of, well, I guess we started in, like beginning of an October and they ended beginning of April. So what is that? Like six, not even six months, October, November, December, January, February, March. Wow. Yeah. It's like, like a little over six months. They shot 13 episodes. So it was a lot, you know, it was a lot. Everyone was pretty tired all the time. Um, and I think because the storylines were all over the place, um, <laughs> there was some confusion. It's like, oh my God, wait, now we're at night. Now it's morning. Now we're with these guys. Now we're <laughs> at Homelands. Now we're at Frank's, you know, now we're at the battle van and we're in the, you know, micro's lair. And now we're in the suburbs and now we're, you know, it was, um, yeah, it was crazy. But, um, you know, those of us who sort of had our own sort of specific storylines for us, it was, it was fairly linear and we kind of just told our stories and, and, and moving forward. So I was going to bring up the, the fact that the Punisher seemed a very, very different beast compared to a lot of the other stuff that that marvel tv have have touched on is i would call it more of a political thriller than a comic book series um and i think that's something that fits in with how the world is today uh is that how it felt to you as well while you were filming it yeah i mean look i have no i have no frame of reference for what it feels like before this to film sort of like a comic book show i mean there were times when i would wander into micro's set or i would go check out the battle van or i would go see you know there would be sort of these emblematic iconic things around me so i was like whoa this is really cool and, and i'm a huge sort of geeky fanboy so for me it was like really a neat thing to see but <coughs> um yeah it really didn't i mean you know frank's not a superhero per se you know he's got no special powers there's nothing sort of mystical or you know, it, it's in the same universe as the Avengers. It's in the same universe as Daredevil and and Iron Fist and all of these other things that have supernatural elements to them, um, or or you know, super powered kind of elements to them. But yeah, I mean, I think the the thing that's so incredible about Frank's story is that it's it's the one kind of superhero that doesn't have any powers, and really, it's the in a lot of ways the most human story. Um, uh, it's certainly the most painful story, I think, in any comic book in history, um, in terms of a backstory, in terms of sort of the reason, the raison d'etre of the whole piece. But, um, yeah, at no point did it feel like anything other than sort of like an intense political action thriller movie that we were making. You know, and it, it, it kind of harkens back to a lot of sort of 70s stuff, like Alan J. Pakula, kind of like, all the president's men. To me, it was kind of like the French connection meets all the president's men. That's kind of how it felt like filming it for me. I think that's no. where my character kind of lived. Um, you know, it had a very sort of seventies kind of washed out sensibility in terms of how it looks, sort of the, the colors, the color escape, the, the claustrophobic framing, the kind of intimate framing, the, the characters in the frame and all that kind of stuff and that jazz and how the, a lot of the action sequences were filmed. You know, there's that it's a, it's, it's a throwback show in a lot of ways. Um, and I think getting to the roots of, you know, what a superhero is and that, in essence, you know, what it means to be us, where, where we come up with the notion of superhero. And I think it's the, it's the most sort of, um, grassroots or sort of ground up kind of, kind of example of that. And so, yeah, it definitely felt like more of that than the other, for sure. So we, I think we have to touch on it. Um, sadly, Sam no, does get killed off in episode eight. Uh, you, boo, yeah, exactly. Um, were you aware that was, was the way the story was going to go right from the start? Yes. Yes. 
no surprises. Nobody, uh, nobody ruined my day or my month or my year by telling me. <laughs> Although it's funny at the read through of that episode, um, most of the cast did not know that that happens. Um, and so when we got to it, you could see people like visibly shook up by it. Um, cause I, I generally was a bit of a class clown on set and at the read throughs <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm not so far away from that character. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of heavies on that show and I tried to sort of keep it light in a lot of ways. And, and, uh, I think people were viscerally upset that that was going on. And then what's funny is I pretended like I didn't know either. And I, and when it came up in the, in the script and they started reading the stage directions, I stood up and I screamed, are you kidding me? Or some ridiculous thing. <laughs> and, and half, the, half the room knew I was joking and half the room was like, oh my God, they didn't tell him. And, uh, that was, that was amazing. I, I patted myself on the back for that moment. And then I was like, I knew everybody I knew. Calm down. Um, I was, was going to say, we should have seen it coming there, because if there is one thing in the formula, it's that shocking demise of a character. I'm thinking of Cottonmouth in, um, Luke Cage as well. Yep. And they all yeah. seem to pull a rug out with one of the characters like that. Yeah, I mean, and that's what they told me in the beginning. You know, they were like, we want to take the character that people are going to love the most and kill him. And <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> I take that as a compliment. You know, and they were like, you know, they, they felt like that needed to happen in order to set the last sort of the final act of the season in motion, um, the third act of the season in motion. And, and you know, my death hangs over the rest of the season and it becomes pretty mm-hmm. emblematic for everybody. And, and it's very, you know, it's not dissimilar from like, and I've told this to people before, you know, I feel like I'm in a lot of ways the sort of Obi-Wan to the show, um, especially to Amber's character. Um, and when Obi-Wan dies in Star Wars, you know, it's like, did that really just happen? People are just like, what? You know, it's, it's really upsetting, but also like it needed to happen. And, and I accepted that. I think early on that story wise, it was a, it was the right thing to do. And it, uh-huh. uh, it helped the story tremendously. It was a bummer for me. I'm not going to lie. I wasn't like excited that I wasn't going to be able to continue with it, but there's so many great things that came out of it in terms of like, you know, the worst thing I could do would be an annoying character that lingered on for a couple of seasons Instead, I get, you know, a sort of one of the great deaths of all time in a Marvel show or movie. Um, some people said that was the best episode of the series. Um, I'm not going to say that I'm not going to I'm not going to disagree or agree. But, <laughs> but, but I, you know, but I would say that, like, it, it really had a profound effect on people. And I'll tell you, I get I get hundreds of messages a day on social media with crying emojis and with hearts. And why did they kill you? Why did you have to die? And. You know, they should, they, they did you wrong and that shouldn't have happened. And in a lot of ways, I'm like, yeah, of course, I feel like I would love to continue with the show, but also like, well, then I did my job, right? Not only did I do, the writers did their job, the show did its job, I did my job. My character had a profound effect on people. People really loved, loved him. You know, I think he represented a lot of the, the love and humanity on that show and the humor, certainly. And, um, you know, I, when, when you lose that, you know, and I think everyone and everyone experiences that kind of a loss in their lives. You know, it's inevitable. Um, it's an important, profound thing to experience. And I think, you know, it's not a bad thing to be martyred in the MCU. Like, I don't know. It's it's. I take that with a huge badge of honor. I was talking to one of the guys who was on, who were on the, uh, you know, Ming from Comic Book Men. You know, those guys who did yep. the AMC show. 
Um, and I've gotten a little bit friendly with Ming and, and, uh, he sent me a really nice message on social media, which was basically just like, you know, you know, we're big fans of yours and you got like, you know, such an iconic death. You should be so honored and proud. And I was like, Oh, cool. You know, like I was sort of, I've been sort of badge of honored by the, by the fans. And, and, um, so, you know, there's a, there's a good good side to this and a bad side to this, but um, you know I, you're never quite dead in in, in the MCU. I was, so. was going to say you could always go to go to Tahiti, I suppose. Yeah, man, or you know, it's a I, magical I think, place. I think Coulson said, "Yeah, right." I think it's a great prequel for Sam, right? Like, what did Sam do before Dina came along? Like, maybe Sam and the Hulk had some fun times <laughs> together. Maybe they were army buddies. I don't know. And. Uh, you know, I, I think that there's room for, I, I, look, I'm not gonna, I have no, I have nothing to spoil because no one has said to me, oh, we want to bring Sam back in some kind of other realm or in some supernatural way. I, I would not, anyone get their hopes up about that, but, um, <laughs> I am, I, I, I do have something in the works that, that involves Marvel, which I can't really talk about yet, but, um, needless cool. to say, um, people will be hearing from me again, for sure. Cool. Yeah. So, on that note, I wanted to talk about Marvel a little bit more in, in general and, and the setup. The, the collaboration between Marvel and Netflix, it's, it's kind of a different thing because Netflix tend to produce their own stuff, um, whereas Marvel are obviously producing this. Is there, is there a noticeable collaboration between the two? Um, well, it, it's really a, I mean, it's really a Netflix show. Um, more than anything, I would say Netflix has <coughs> probably the final say on kind of what transpires. It's, it's kind of, it's not really, it's not totally clear, I would say, from, from our point of view as actors in the show. Um, it, it is a collaboration. Um, but, you know, I think their models for their content or for what they're trying to do with their brands are very different. And they found kind of a sweet spot where they can kind of scratch each other's backs and, and help each other out. Um, you know, Marvel not having, uh, obviously a TV platform and then Netflix obviously having all platform. And so looking for content. So I think there is very much a, a collaboration. I mean, I will tell you on set, there were execs from Marvel TV and execs from, uh, uh Netflix all the time. Um, so occasionally there'd be one or the other, but most of the time there was both and there were definitely notes given from both sides. And so, yeah, I would say, it's for sure a collaboration. You know, I think it's interesting to think of what's going to happen, you know, now that, um, that Disney bought Fox and Disney starting their own streaming service, you know, what's going to happen in the future? Who knows? Um, in terms of the partnership between Marvel and, and Netflix, I don't know how long of a shelf life these Marvel TV shows have necessarily. Um, I think I read that Punisher is the last one they're going to do, um, in terms of like, you know, another standalone kind of show. Um, and I think a lot of that, a lot of the stuff might, might go to Disney. A lot of the Marvel stuff might go to a, a Disney platform. So who knows? Um, there, there may, that, that collaboration could conceivably end at some point. But, um, but yeah, so they're pretty, they're pretty simpatico. And there was never sort of like a, well, Marvel wants this and Netflix wants this. It's, they have sort of like a, you know, they have a, a machine that churns this stuff out and they, they do it well and they know what they're doing at this point. And, and sticking with collaborations, obviously the, the movie studios and the, the TV side of things at Marvel are kind of separate entities. With obviously Kevin Feige in charge of the, the movies and, and Jeff Loeb on, uh, steering the, the ship for the TV side. Does it st- seem like they are still working together to kind of steer both sides into the same 
same spots, or do they seem like they are kind of working separately? I mean, I would say just as a viewer, they seem to be working pretty separately. Um, there was never any talk of the movies coming into play. Um, there's a couple of references, I think, even in The Punisher to things that had happened in, like, the Avengers movie. The first one, I think something someone said something about the thing that happened in New York. Yeah. Or, like, the event in New York, something like that. Um, I don't think it was my character. I don't think it was my character, but, um, you, you know, I think there's, like, very, very sort of subtle references to certain sort of bigger events that have happened, because... I mean, you can't be, if you are in the same universe, you can't, like, not acknowledge that there was this, like, gigantic supernatural war that, like, destroyed, you know, a portion of New York City. So, yeah. um, but, but that being said, yeah, I think that they, they do work autonomously. I think that they are, they are their own things. I mean, they, they're definitely, they're, the tones are different. The looks are different. They're more, they're more auteurish, right? Mm. In, in a sense. Yeah. Um, and, you know, look, Joss Whedon, who I actually got to meet and hang out with this year, who's super cool. Um, he's, you know, what he did with, with Avengers is sort of geeky auteurish in a way, but, but I think in general, that's a different, that's a different bag. And again, they're getting, they're getting more and more sort of real with these shows, you know, um, especially with Punisher. And so I think that keeping those brands separate, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point there was some kind of crossover, but I think that like at some point the crossover just becomes, sort of nauseating and you want to sort of like tell different stories and doesn't all have to connect to the same thing. If you know that it's in the same universe, you can just sort of acknowledge that and then move on and then tell like specific stories, which I personally think is just more interesting. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not clamoring to see like all the defenders in an Avengers movie. You know, I just don't see that being necessary. So that's just my So the last question, and this is, this is more, touching on i know you've got a, a really geeky side of i've seen some of the pictures on on your twitter account like your picture as a ghostbuster the other day and i know you toured <laughs> marvel today or in the last couple of days posted some pictures with a, a hulk bus uh, and... I'm not gonna tell you when I, I can't tell you when i was at marvel <laughs> i was it wasn't the last couple of days but uh yeah I'm, I'm being very sneaky on my uh, twitter and my instagram um <laughs> and something that you've already brought up just a few moments ago the the fox deal um yeah. With the X-Men and the Fantastic Four hopefully returning to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I know, obviously, we've touched on that you're not going to be in Season 2, or, or probably aren't going to be in Season 2, but were there any characters that are coming back into the fold that you would have liked to have seen Sam interact with? Oh, my God. Like like for other other characters from other universes? Yeah, or, well, from like the, the <coughs> X-Men or the Fantastic Four or... Or even any of the other characters that are already in the MCU. Oh my God! I don't know where I where, where would I actually begin that conversation. Everybody. <laughs> um, every well, you already mentioned the Hulk, so yeah. I mean, I love I love all of these characters. Like, I'm a big Marvel fan, and so I mean, any of those would have been cool. I mean, I'm a huge X Men fan, so like, I would say if I if if I could choose any sort of, you know. Um, corner of the universe to interact with i would probably say x-men just because i love the story i love the metaphor of the x-men i love what it says about our society and um again it's it's sort of a great it's this brilliant brilliant um uh series uh, comic series and and those characters are just incredible and i love logan was so incredible and um yeah i love i love those characters and so oh man it would be amazing be amazing to be hanging out with tony stark in his penthouse and i don't know my god 
All, all of them. I'll say every single every single um, character that I end up posting, you'll you'll just assume that I want to be in a movie with one of those guys. <laughs> so finally, just want to say, is there anything that you've got coming up that you'd like to just give a mention to, or anything that's coming out that you've got? Um. Well, I uh, I was on the season. I was on this uh, past season of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon. So check that out. I think it's episode six where I, my character appears. Um, which may, it's coming back for a second season. I don't know if I'm coming back. I'm hoping that my character comes back. Um, so that's been a cool show to be a part of. Um, I have uh, an episode of Madam Secretary coming out next month, um, that I am a big guest spot on, which is a pretty cool, it's a pretty cool gig to be on on CBS. Um, yeah, I got some writing projects. I'm, I'm pitching around a TV pilot with a friend of mine, uh, dads in Brooklyn, which is what I am, a dad in Brooklyn. Um, so not too far fetched. Um, I got a sci-fi relationship feature that's kind of a cross between the lobster and eternal sunshine of the spotless mind that we're oh. trying to pitch around and trying to get some, some money for and talking to some different directors. And so if anyone, if anyone has a million dollars they'd like to give me to make this incredible movie, I'm happy <laughs> to the script and, uh, you can, uh, you can help us make it. Um, yeah, you know, a couple other projects. I got something going on with Marvel that I, again, I can't talk about, but, uh, when I can, I'm happy to come back and chat with you guys about it for yeah, sure. Great. And, oh, uh, and, um, yeah, you know, just, just gonna be auditioning for more stuff, hopefully. You know, a lot of doors have opened for me and, um, go to a lot more Comic Cons. I'm really excited. I got my first Comic Con that I've ever been to as a guest and that's next week. It's in Miami, Florida at Paradise City Comic Con. Cool. So, uh, Anyone in the UK wants to take a vacation to some nicer weather? Although I thought it was snowing in Florida <laughs> yesterday, so it's, I don't know how nice it is down there at this point. Yeah, but yeah, with the I I run I do a lot of running, and and Disney have actually got their half marathon in Orlando, or their full marathon in Orlando yeah. this weekend, and it was minus one in Orlando Ooh. this morning when they started. <laughs> so, Crazy, yeah, yeah it so. is. Something, yeah, yeah, but there's no global warming. Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, you know, I got, I got, a, and I got another, uh, Comic Con coming up in Pensacola in February, and hopefully we'll be adding to that list. Um, but yeah, I'd love, you know, m- look, I would just say in closing with you guys, like, the coolest thing about being a part of the show and, and being in, in, in the Marvel Universe has been interacting with the fans and getting to talk to guys like you in podcasts and, and messaging back and forth with folks online. It's really, I feel like I've really found, like, this sort of new family, um, of sort of fellow geeks and fans. And, um, you know, as I like to say, I like to represent the fans. You know, that's, I, I'm, I'm one of them. You know, I geek out over Star Wars, over Marvel, over Ghostbusters, over so many different things. And to be like in, in this world, in, within the universe, you know, I, I like to bring everybody along for the ride. And so, you know, uh, I would say for all those folks online, come find me, come chat with me. I, I don't know if you guys have noticed, I respond to almost every single person who messages me <laughs> online, which is, I think I'm about to be in the Guinness Book of World Records for that, but um, <laughs> I really do. I try. I try to respond to everybody. I try to you know, say hi to everyone and, and have an interaction, and you know, make this a big sort of campfire where we can all sit around and tell stories and 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 do you know be on this journey together. So um, I would say find me on Instagram, Michael underscore Nathanson, and uh, my Twitter is m underscore Nathanson one. And uh, yeah, come say hi. Uh, and and obviously that's how we first interacted. I just uh, an innocent, totally. tw- innocent tweet about you coming to a convention with Amber. In fact, had been announced in the last couple of weeks, and that's how how this all all kicked off. So, so thank you very much for for coming on. 
It's been fantastic. Yeah, yeah thank you. You've been our first Marvel cast member interview, so we're we're very happy with that. And just wanted oh, to. God, I hope I broke the mold in a good in a good way. <laughs> yeah, you certainly did. It, it's been absolutely yeah, fantastic. So, and you, as you awesome. say, you've you've got something in in the pipeline with Marvel. <coughs> Anytime you're welcome back on the show. So, just let us know. Totally, totally. Thanks, guys. It's really been a pleasure. I really appreciate you. having me. Yep, and Tony, thank you for joining us for this interview. A couple of great questions inserted in there as well. So thank you to both of you. Thank you to all our listeners. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. This podcast is part of the After Dark Podcast.